0: To the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church, the Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Well, good evening. Here we are wrapping up the Sticks and Stones series, and this has been a series about our relationships with one another. Yeah, we can bring the lights up. Um, it's been a series about our relationships with one another and how we all get along. Uh, in a few weeks, October 31st, uh, um, I know we'll, you know we, we sort of um, we don't celebrate Halloween, but we may or may not get dressed up and go get candy that night, um, or have our kids do that and whatever. But October 31st, and maybe some of you know this, but others of you may not, is also the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg. And so, we, we, I think about the Reformation. Others think about ghosts. Um, but, but the the, the 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 great contribution of the Reformation, of course, is one of the recover. One of the things that helped to recover is this idea of the priesthood of the believer. And and you maybe have heard that phrase, the priesthood of the believer. And What we're used to associating with that phrase, the priesthood of the believer, means that each of us can come to God for ourselves. Just like the New Testament reading we heard read tonight in Hebrews, it says, look, Jesus is the priest for all, and the the curtain's been torn, and we can now come before God with boldness. And so we've run with that, and especially in Western societies that have been shaped by the Reformation, that's the piece of priesthood that we emphasize. We emphasize this thing about, hey, look, I don't need no priest to talk to God for me. I can talk to him myself. I just thought I was going to start rapping there. Um, I just kind of had a groove going. Anyway, I, I won't do that to you tonight. But, but there's this thing about we emphasize the individuality of it and saying, hey, look, look, I, I have direct access to God. And so because of that, I think sometimes we sort of devalue the communal or devalue the community, and we're suspicious sometimes of anything that smells like too much of a commitment or, or control, or it just sounds like, hey, 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 you can't take the place of my Savior. And we've, we've got this thing defined for us, that it's Jesus and me, and priesthood, all, 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 after all, is all about me and God, and it's sort of this vertical dimension. But what's interesting to also think about with this word priesthood is that when God first called Israel— At the Mount of Sinai, he says to them, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. That God's goal was for his people to all be priests. And again, we we, we tend to hear that and say, okay, so that means that we'll all just have our personal relationships with Jesus. Well, certainly that's true. But is that all that it means? Because in Jesus, the great high priest our priesthood is recovered, right? And we think of that verse maybe in, in, in uh, 1 Peter 2.9 where it says, look, you are all a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And we think, oh, royal priesthood, kingdom of priests. This has sort of been recovered and there's something about this. And so we get excited and we say, look, we're all priests and we don't need pastors. We don't need church. We don't need organized religion. We can all just sort of talk to God for ourselves. Well, that thankfully, is one of the things that the Reformation helped us recover. But in trying so hard to answer the questions that that they faced, it sort of emphasized one aspect of it without giving us this other picture of it. Because it's striking how few occasions in the New Testament the language is directed to individuals. That most of the "us" that you see in the New Testament are, in fact, Plural. That they are plural use. I was struck by this even, I don't know if you felt this, but even as we joined hands and said the Lord's Prayer, do do you know the only singular pronoun is the one addressed to God? Yours is the key. Everything else is us, our, we, connectedness. And that's something to remember because here in America, like that new Dodge commercial that I saw three times today while trying to watch the ball game, what America does well is cars and freedom okay? But freedom, of course, is this fuzzy notion, and, and we sort of translate freedom as in autonomy, as in I can do whatever the heck I want to do, and you can't stop me, and you can't tell me otherwise, and you can't hey, be the boss of me. But what happens when we come into church? When we use and we hear words like family and community and church, it sort of sort of becomes a, a bit difficult to wrap our brains around because we're not used to that. And church. We're more accustomed actually with the health club model, you know? It's got great facilities and there's some wonderful perks of membership, and if it's close to your house, even better. And so you can, you know, when the new gym opens up, you'll check out that one. And if they ever finish Lifetime Fitness over here, maybe we'll explore that. But they've been working on it for who knows how long, you know. And church is just sort of this thing where, yeah, it's the, I like the corporate things that we can leverage b- when we pool our resources. But it's not absolutely essential. And in fact, coming to church is sort of like a spiritual gym membership. Because I can come do my individual workout my individual religious experience, my private spiritual experience in the worship time, and then I can go home and my, look at my spiritual muscles. They're getting bigger. But that's not it, is it? This isn't a place where we all sort of have membership cards and we come in and we do our private little spiritual workout that we call worship and prayer, listen to a nice you know, pat-on-the-back sermon, and then say, wow, look, I'm so, this is great. I, I put an hour in on the treadmill today. This is being the spiritual equivalent of that. That's not it. Then what is this, and why is community such a hard thing for us to wrap our our, our brains around and surrender to? I think if we're honest, at least part of the reason is because we're afraid of being taken advantage of. I don't mean in a weird way, I just mean we're afraid that somebody's going to stick their nose where it doesn't belong. And we're afraid that if we really open up ourselves to one another, we might just hear some advice that we didn't really want to hear, and so we just have sort of learned to detach a little bit because, ah, I don't want to hear that, and I don't want someone telling me what I should and should not do. And so when you think about, could priesthood not only have a vertical dimension, but could priesthood also have a communal dimension... We don't really want to think about that because that's uncomfortable. What I mean by priesthood having a horizontal or communal dimension is this, that we are, in a sense, priests to one another. That there's something that I can show you about God that you may not have been able to see on your own. There's something that you can see of God that that I may not have been able to see if not for you. That we are priests to one another, bringing our journeys and our stories together almost like a, a beautiful stained glass window where there's a little shard of red and a little shard of yellow glass and green. And we all sort of bring that to the table. And when the light of God shines through it, we see this picture of Christ. That isn't that maybe what the body of Christ is supposed to be? The priesthood of the believer, the priesthood not just, it doesn't mean I privatized it. It means that we are, yes, we have individual access to God, but it also means that we can become, in a way, priests to one another. That I can shed a little bit of red light while you're shedding a little bit of yellow light, and all of us together are a mosaic picture of Christ. Now wouldn't that be something? Last week we read this text and I, I didn't give it to the to the guys to put on the screen, but let me just read it to you. It's Ephesians four twenty nine and we read the first part of this do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to your needs that it may benefit those who listen. And we talked about that word for building each other up. It literally is the idea of building. It's construction language. And we talked about how corrupt words are words. It's like trying to build something with rotten wood. And so he says instead, encourage, do the things, say the things that are helpful. But I think it's interesting that right after that he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom he was sealed for the day of redemption. And how? How is it that we grieve the Holy Spirit? And he talks about the, the bitterness and the rage and the anger and all the stuff that we could do to grieve him. The New Testament reading passage that we heard out of Hebrews 10, it talks about Christ as our priest, but then all of a sudden, without much of a segue, goes into this thing about, and don't forsake assembling together. Now that seems at first like an odd segue. Now wait a second, shouldn't you say, Jesus is our priest, and oh, by the way, we should also gather unless the point for the early Christians was self-evident, that Jesus being priest doesn't allow us to individualize our priesthood and sort of compartmentalize, oh, I'm just independent because I'm my own little mini-priest. But it says that all of us together reflect and reveal God to one another. We are, after all, members of one body. Or as we said last week, parts of the same song. Bits of the same melody. That word members, milos, mem- uh, part of the melody, part of the tune. But the danger of this is we've probably seen, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably seen a couple of different extreme versions of this when we talk about spiritual direction, opening up your lives to each other, letting someone be priest for you, and letting you be priest for someone else in, 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 a, in a way, in a poetic sense. We've seen abuses of this because maybe you can think of a leader one time who who started to get too much in your business and started to tell you what to do in your marriage and and wanted to know how much was in your bank account. There's there's weird stories. We've heard them of people who kind of use their quote-unquote spiritual authority to really be a busybody. And so we've kind of swung to maybe this other side where it's like, well... We're just sort of being relational, and it's just sort of organic, but then organic and relational becomes code for sloppy, accidental, and unintentional. So, well, we have relationships with one another, but, man, we just don't want to get into this controlling thing, and so we just don't do anything, and I want to say something, but I don't know if I should, and I don't know if I have that place, and I wish someone would tell me, but I don't want to ask them, because if I ask them about this issue, then maybe they'll come give their advice on every other issue, and I just... Yeah. I want us to reframe the way we've thought about encouraging one another and building each other up. We talked last week, in a sense, about the negative of it, the gossip and the spiraling and the rotten words. But what about the building up? How does that happen? What does that exactly look like? The phrase spiritual direction is an old phrase used Uh, in different, particularly more traditional circles of the church, to say that so-and-so, someone is my spiritual director, or this person is providing spiritual direction. And it usually is a more formal relationship. But tonight I want us to talk about it in the everyday sort of relationships that we have with one another. It's not hierarchical, and yet it it, it happens by permission, and yet it is intentional. Intentional. It is on purpose. It's not, well, we're just going to have coffee and we'll see what happens and maybe she'll bring this thing up and if she does, then I'll tell her that she shouldn't talk to her kids that way, you know, and we're sort of waiting. And so here's a working definition of it, and this is a Eugene Peterson definition. Spiritual direction takes place when two people agree to give their full attention to what God is doing in one or both of their lives and seek to respond in faith. Now, leave it up there for a bit, and we're going to break this down just a little bit. Spiritual direction takes place when two people agree. In other words, there has to be some sort of conversation where we say to one another, Jeff and I might say, hey... I just want you to know we we have the kind of friendship that you can always speak into my life something that you're seeing and he says yeah well well me too and so we've agreed on this does that make sense I think sometimes we're afraid to say that to someone again because we're afraid of the abuse but we need that we need someone else to sometimes say you know what I'm seeing that maybe you're not seeing but what is it we're asking them to see are we asking them to just give us advice is this what this is? Like turning your friends into Oprah or Dr. Phil, you know? Just tell me, you know, speak harshly and give me, you know. No, to give their full attention to what God is doing. I love this. Because spiritual direction is not advice giving. It's not a whole bunch of, oh, let me tell you, you shouldn't do that. And let me tell you what I've learned. and you, you know? It's, all right, let's commit to pay attention to what God is doing. In other words, it's me and Ryan Hill. You know, I might say to Ryan, hey, Ryan, I, I commit that as, as we journey together, as we get to know one another, I give you permission to tell me what you're seeing the Lord doing in my heart in my life. And, I, and, and he says, well, you too. You know, if you see the Lord nudging you or saying, you, making you aware of something in my life, I, I want to I know that. To so give their full attention to what God is doing in one or both of their lives. And, and mainly today we're talking about the both as in a mutual sort of thing. Again, not hierarchical of their lives, and seek to respond in faith. There's three convictions that sort of are necessary and that are really kind of embedded in this definition, this working definition. Three convictions that we have about how to do this and what spiritual direction really is. Conviction number one is this. It's the belief that God is always at work. Everybody take a big, deep breath. That means... You're not the fixer. That means that if someone says, Oh man, I got this, this happened to me, and da da, da, da my you yeah, know this is what's good. You don't have to say, Uh oh, I don't think I can be your friend anymore because I can't fix you. Or because I can't help you. Spiritual direction, in some ways, it's kind of like grape nuts. Because grape nuts is neither grapes nor is it nuts. And there are many times that spiritual direction doesn't feel very spiritual. You're not giving them a word of knowledge, nor does it feel very directive. Sometimes you're not really directing, but there is this underlying conviction that God is always at work. It really bothers me when I hear preachers say, oh, well, you know, Jesus said it is finished, and so he's done, and he went to the cross, and it's over. I mean, he's sitting down, so it's all up to you. Where's your faith, and where's your, what are you going to do? As if this was some sort of cosmic chess game. Where God's made his move and now the timer's going and saying, your move, what you got? Have we ignored that there's one more person of the Trinity here? His name is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' work is finished, but the Spirit continues God's work on the earth in you and me in the church. Do you believe that? We're Trinitarian. That's why we say, the, one of the reasons we say the creed every week, to remind us that there's Father and Son and Spirit, that we're hemmed in on all sides, surrounded by God. That God himself is always at work. And so we have this belief that when you sit down with a friend or you've developed a friendship where you say, yeah, I want to give permission to you to speak into my life, we're, we're saying that, look, the bedrock, one of the underlying assumptions we're saying is that, We believe God is always at work. And that's why, in a sense, even when you go on missions, we're not necessarily taking Jesus somewhere. I'm taking Jesus today. You're not taking it. This is God's earth. And the whole world is full of his glory. And the Holy Spirit is at work in people's hearts, particularly the hearts of those who are surrendered to him. So we're talking about people who belong to Christ, people within the family of God, people in our congregation, in our community, and we're saying, look, before I show up to this coffee, I mean, uh, what a wonderful thing if before you show up for a coffee appointment or a lunch appointment with with a friend, you say, Holy Spirit, thank you that even before I go and meet Sally, I believe that you're already at work in Sally's life. Thank you that you're already at work in my life, and I, I pray that you help us to see that to one another. And so all of a sudden, your role as friends, your role as the ones that build each other up, is to really be a large, giant-sized mirror. that says, This is what I see God doing in you, and this, this is what I... Oh, you're sharing all this stuff with me. Man, I hear that, but, but, but you know what? I wonder if and it's always good to phrase it that way. You know, I wonder if, could it be that the Lord is, you know, and you're, you're kind of like spiritual CSI, you know. You're looking for the fingerprints of God, of the Spirit at work. You're looking for the Holy Spirit. You know what, I, I just, I'm listening to you unload, and thank you for sharing all this stuff. I just, I just wonder if the Lord maybe is working this, and they say, huh, that's, that's, really, that's really good. I have friends that, we, we've been friends, for, Holly and I have this couple that we've been friends for, with, for, close friends for a long time, over a decade, and um, er, earlier this summer, we were having this discussion, and we were telling them about a situation uh, in, in our home, and, and, and uh, one of them says to me, pr- pretty directly, because we have this kind of permission, Glenn, do you think that you've always gotten what you want? She's like, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe. And without even saying it, the point was, do you think the Lord's teaching you to kind of let go of this thing because it's really not about this thing, but it's about you getting your way? Like, it is not. (laughs) Okay, it is, you know. And I I think those are good friends that can say that. Okay, second conviction, God is always at work. But secondly, that each person is unique or each soul is unique. Really, we we can make this larger to say each person is unique. And what I mean by that is we're not coming to people with things we heard on Twitter that day, you know? Oh, oh I just saw Pastor So-and-so tweeted this, and I'm just going to give you this advice right now. He says that, that every time you do this, then God will do this. Please, to be a community of faith, a vibrant congregation, we've got to do more than pass on cliches to one another. Cliches of like, well, you know, I mean, I don't know why that happened, but God has a plan, that doesn't help anybody. You see someone grieving over something or someone lost their job and you say, well, God closes the door. He opens a window. Where? Like Noah's Ark? or I mean, like what? We've, we, to, but to, to, to respect one another enough to say, you know what? Each person is unique. Each story is unique. But you know the downside of believing something like this is it means you've got to slow down with one another. It means you're not going to have 10 or 20 of these relationships. You might have two or three. Because it takes a long time to say, you know what, I've been listening to you. I've been hanging out with you. We've been friends for a while. And I kind of, I, I, I see what's going on. It also means that nothing is just conversational filler. I think we have this thing sometimes in church where it's like, well, yeah, yeah, you know, we were talking about the kids and the job and all the stuff, and then we got down to spiritual things. I just need friends that I can talk about spiritual things with. I've heard people say that sometimes, you know? I just need, need someone. I mean, I don't want to just talk about their kids and their schedules. I want to talk about the things of God with someone. There was an early heresy in the New Testament called Gnosticism that has continued to plague the church and it's the belief that everything material and physical is evil and inconsequential. And the only things that matter is not matter, but spiritual things. And we still deal with that because we think it's holier to pray together than to eat together. And it's more spiritual to attend a night of worship than it is to go to a ball game. Look, if you can't be the night of worship, don't be at the night of worship. Go with your friends to a ball game. You know what I mean? Like I love for you to come to the night of worship. I'll be part of it. I'm excited about it. But it's not like that's where God is. God's with you wherever you go. Wherever two or three gather in my name for a meal, for a ball game, for a conversation, does that make sense? And I'm saying that to say this. Yes, it's important that we gather together for worship and prayer and the sacraments. Oh, yes. But the other parts of our getting them, because each person is unique, it means that every part of their story matters. That we're not sort of screening out, oh yeah, I I don't know, they said something about their job and whatever, but you know, I just wanted to know how their quiet time was. (laughs) Good storytellers teach us to pay attention to the details, and they make us wait for the significance of it. Uh, I, last year, year and a half ago, I finally saw the movie Marley and Me, you know, about the dog. And, and uh, I cried. It was a good movie. And, uh, and then I went out. We were on sabbatical, and so then I went out and we found a bookshop and, and bought the book and then read the book, and the book was even better. You know, it's not like this great piece of fiction. It's not Tolstoy. It's not Anna Karenina, you know. But it's a good, but it's a nice story and well told. But what it, what good storytellers teach us is that every detail of a person's life matters. So here you are reading the story about a family who takes in a dog and the dog does this and the dog does that and they switch jobs and they go from Florida to Philadelphia and and you're like, ah, well, what's this all about? And then you get to the end of it and you realize this is about family. This is about a family struggling to be loyal and faithful and stick together through thick and thin. This is about husband and wife being faithful even in the midst of temptation. This is about all of the struggles of life. Oh, I thought it was just about a dog. And I think that we need that same lens with one another, that we're never just hearing about your day. We're also hearing about you. When you sit down, and and, and maybe this is a word to the men in the room, you know, When you sit down and you listen to your wife say, oh, this is what happened today, and they're narrating the day, you're not just hearing about the day, you're hearing about what they cared about, what they didn't care about, what they were... You see what I'm saying? That we regard, all of a sudden, each person as unique, and because we regard each person as unique, we pay attention to the details of the story, even the quote-unquote unspiritual ones, because it tells us something about them. Third conviction with spiritual direction is that responding to God is not sheer guesswork. Remember, in our working definition, it says we're going to pay attention to what God is doing in one another, and then we're going to respond in faith. In other words, we're not just going to say, oh yeah, I think God's teaching me to worry less, but we're going to say, well, how do you think you could respond to that? What do you think you could do about that? And the response to God is not sheer guesswork. What do I mean by that? We've had 2,000 years or so and it's longer in some practices of walking out Christianity of spiritual practices. But all of a sudden, we feel like we've got to reinvent the wheel. So someone says, I'm really struggling with uh, 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 just, just, I just every time I see a new Apple product, I just want it. You know, it used to be called avarice, like greed. Now we call it, I don't know what we call it. Cool, you know, stuff. I just I'm a gadget guy. Okay. But that responding to God is not sheer guesswork, meaning we can say, well, if that's what you're struggling with, have you ever thought about going on a fast as in don't buy another new gadget for a year? <laughs> what? Whoa, don't be legalistic now. <laughs> These are spiritual practices we've had long histories of men and women of God who said, look, if you want to know Christ better, it's not like we're just sort of left to wander out in the woods. There are some well-worn trails. Use the trails. There's well-worn trails of fasting, of prayer, of engaging God, of studying the Gospels, of just reading over and over again the life of Christ in the Gospels. There's all kinds. There's psalm-praying As in waking up each day and saying, I'm going to pray a psalm today and I'm going to pray it as if it were my words. This isn't sort of the thing where you say, well, I just feel like God is teaching me to like really pray more, but I just don't know what to do. So just pray for me that I'll become better at praying. Or how about we pray the psalms together? Well, I don't want to get all legalistic with this. I just want to follow the Holy Spirit. Broadly speaking, the disciplines or spiritual practices fit into two broad categories. One are the disciplines of disengagement. Things like fasting or solitude or a silent retreat or things like that, okay? And and then in in another broad category, there are spiritual practices that are disciplines of engagement. Where you're you're intentionally engaging, whether it's in service or in meditating on the scriptures or in prayer or whatever whatever it may be. But these are well-worn paths. All through the month of November... Uh, for the three Sundays, three sun, first three Sundays in the month of November at New Life Sunday School in the mornings, we're going to be talking about spiritual practices. Because, again, we need not wander about through the woods as if there was no hiking trail. There's a hiking trail. And there are great men and women of God who have gone before us. That's something to be grateful for. Amen? In a sense, you could say there are three questions that we could ask one another without necessarily doing it. Like this, you don't have to carry around three-by-five note cards, and you sit down for coffee. And say, hey, 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 how's it going? Question one. You know, my hope is that this just sort of becomes part of our flow. And question one is, what is the Lord doing or, or saying in your life? Now, I will say this. Sometimes the best way to figure that out is not by asking it like that. Sometimes the best way is just, hey, what's happening? Oh, well, you know, it's been kind of crazy. We've been stressed out, and... You know, um, husband got laid off or we're just, we're searching for a house or whatever, you know, and there's all this stuff that sort of, they tell you what's going on. You say, oh man, that's it. And you keep talking, you keep talking. Uh, Or maybe you're close enough friends and someone says, you know, I just, um, my daughter at preschool is just crying and not wanting to go in, you know, and I just, we're worried and we're just, you know, wow, wow, wow. Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not here to tell you like what to do or anything, but do you think that the, maybe the Lord is, this is a good occasion to kind of learn to trust Him? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, sure, that's true. Or, or, phrase it like another question. So so in the midst of all this, what do you think, where's the Holy Spirit in What do you think God is, I don't know, you know, I just, I feel like I have been dealing with anxiety a lot, and yeah, I mean maybe the word is and I, we just finished a Bible study with a couple of guys Wes and Jeff and, and a number of others and and one of the things we at, we we all said before we began is if you were to say one word for this season in your life what's the word the lord is making me a man of so oh I don't know maybe maybe trust or maybe patience maybe faith maybe boldness maybe, you know but just a way to kind of say can we train ourselves to pay attention to what god may be doing in the midst of these situations does that make sense the second question Is, well, how can you cooperate with his work? Or bluntly, what are you going to do about it? Because so many times people will say, oh, well, I just." would you pray for me? We're just going through a tough time and we just need prayer. Well, that's wonderful. Pray for him. For sure, pray for him. But what if you develop the kinds of friendships and the kind of permission you've already agreed on this permission that you could say, yeah, I'll pray with you. But, hey, how about this? Why don't we memorize some scriptures together? Why don't we memorize some psalms together? Some psalms of prayer uh, when, you're, when they're going through anxiety and things like that. Oh, some psalms of confidence they're called. Well, no, I never. okay, yeah, sure. I'll, you know, and again, you're helping them respond. Does that make sense? So it's not this, I'm going to put my money in, you pray for me, and then, okay, see ya. You know, but to say, well, how can we help one another? How can we challenge, what is, what could you do with this? And then thirdly, how can I help? How can I walk alongside you in this? I'll, I'll say this, the, it's very difficult to do this on a mass scale. I don't think you can. I think you have, there are seasons in your life maybe and you say, you know what, maybe these two or three or four relationships, these are the ones, you know. But then to really kind of stick with that and work with that and, Talk to one another. And When you see one another, say, "Well, how, what's what's happening?" I have some friends who are very direct. Okay, Glenn, so you just shared all this. Well, what do you think the Lord? Where do you think the Lord is in this? Oh, I didn't really want to think about that. Or worse yet, so Glenn, what what are you going to do about this? Uh, nothing. I was just hoping you know you pray for me and it would get better. You know, <laughs> well, how can you participate in the Holy Spirit's word? This is not a us working and God. This is we're talking about participate. See, here's the thing I love about God. The way that God works with us, it's always a participate. It's a join me in this. It's like Jesus saying to the disciples, come follow me. Do this with me. And so the Holy Spirit says to all of us, look, I'm, I'm working in you. I am always at work, but I'd like you to join me in this work, would you? Would you join me in this? And this is how we can help one another. We can say, you know what? I wonder if the Holy Spirit's doing this in you. And, 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 and how do you think you could join him in that? And hey, even better, how can I join you as you join him? As we join him. Now there's a beauty in that. And then all of a sudden, it's not me and my private relationship with Jesus and you and your private relationship with Jesus. And we sort of wave to each other. Oh, how are you doing? Well, I'm good. Well, But we're starting to say, okay, we're not going to live in this sphere of this heavy-handed, controlling relationship thing. Sure, we need boundaries and all of that. That still matters and that's still important. And, and you, we do need to get better at saying what places people can speak into and what places they can't. I get all that. And it's also good not to have just one person speaking into you. It's great to have a myriad of voices. There's all of these disclaimers we can say. But the point is this. Growing up in Christ requires each other. Requires the willingness to say to someone else, I, let's both pay attention to what God is doing in my life and your life, and let's tell each other what we're seeing. As we talk, as we have conversations about ordinary stuff, can we challenge one another to, to respond to him in faith? And more than just challenge, can we walk alongside one another? See, my role is not to do that for you. My role is to help us do that together. Is to encourage us through that. All of the leadership, all of the works of the fivefold all of that is for us to say, can we be the body together where each joint supplies what the other needs and we learn to trust and risk and pull back and try again and fail and, mm, mm, mm. but to have these sorts of intentional conversations where we say okay, um, we've never really solidified this or said this clearly but yeah, I think, I think let's do that together. Let's Let's take the next few months and pay attention to what the Lord is doing in each other's life. Does that make sense? Can we do that? A slow, long process? Amen. We have a very important thing to do tonight, and I know you probably remember the vote about the service. But let's pray, and then we'll segue into that. So don't leave during the prayer, because your vote counts. Our Father, thank you that we belong to you. We thank you that we are in the family of God because of your son, Jesus. Help us to live this out. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Teach us to take the risks of allowing others in. and Maybe help us to think of one or two or three people that we already have this friendship with. Uh, to say, hey, let, let's, let's try to be more intentional about paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying in each of our lives. And to help each other respond.